You're listening to HR Mavericks, a weekly podcast featuring leading small business HR professionals who share their experiences and insights to help you know how to turn your HR processes and employee experience into a strategic business advantage. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the next episode of the HR Mavericks podcast. I'm Garrett Justice, and today I'm joined by Deb Calvert, who's the president at People First Productivity Solutions in Missouri. Deb, how are you doing today? I'm doing well now that I'm here with you. Thank you so much, Garrett, for bringing me in. We are very excited to have you on the show today and just to learn more about you and your company and your background. And also, we have a really great topic today. So before we jump into that topic, though, tell our listeners just a little bit more about you and your background and also what your company, People First Productivity Solutions, does. Okay. Well, once upon a time, I was an HR director with a Fortune 500, and they decided to sell the company. And overnight, things went from being very, very people-focused to being profit focused and it was a big wake up call for me. So, I decided to to start my own business. This is now 17 years ago. And to me the the premise of putting people first was really important because I had seen that contrast. So, what we do here at People First Productivity Solutions is we help organizations, small and mid-sized businesses to understand and utilize people practices that will drive productivity and and business results. Uh, and I'm also the founder of People First Leadership Academy, which is a resource for tons of free resources for topics like the one we'll talk about today and for all sorts of things that might be on your mind as you think about people practices. I love it. Well, we are very excited that you could be on the show today and share some of that wealth of knowledge that you have on HR and all of these topics with us. Before we jump into our topic for today, though, one of the questions I really like to ask a lot of people is what drew you to the field of HR? That's part one. And then part two is what's kept you in that space in your career? Well, I'm sort of a unique situation because I... I, never knew I was being drawn to the HR space. I had a great sales career. And then I got this promotion into corporate where the sales and training and development sat in HR. And that opened my eyes up to a whole lot. And I, I grew into HR by by necessity, especially as the company cut back for that whole sales process that they went through. And then in business for myself, I, I kind of rode both. I, I worked a lot in sales. I worked a lot in leadership development and people practices with HR people. And really, it's just this past year where I've, I've sort of declared more HR, less sales. I, this is what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love it. And what is it about HR that's really drawn you to that and wanted wanted to really declare that in this last year? Well, you know, I, everything I've ever done in my intrinsic motivator is I, I want to make a difference. And making a difference in this time and place that we are now to people, to people who are feeling stressed, to people who aren't having a great employee experience, to people who are not getting clarity, that's really gratifying when you can do that. And so I'm fueled by that. I love that. You can definitely see that as you talk about that. So again, super excited for this topic. And I think it's a very important one. As you and I discussed what the topic should be for today's episode, you proposed this idea of some fast fixes for something that is affects, I think, probably every every company and has affected everyone at some point, but it's burnout. A lot of times we hear about burnout, employee burnout. And so really to start us off on that, set the stage for us and tell us, you know, according to you, what is what does burnout really mean? What is that? 
Yeah. Well, I'll I'll go with the World Health Organization's definition because back in 2019, they officially recognized burnout as an occupational phenomenon. This is in their international classification of diseases. So their definition says that burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. Hmm. And here's the part that I think is really important out of that definition. Stress that has not been successfully managed means that there's, well, there's some shared responsibility here because who's responsible for managing? Certainly, right, as employers, we shouldn't be causing it. We shouldn't allow unnecessary contributors contributors Mm -hmm. to it. But I also think that you have to acknowledge that stress is like any aspect of health. Individuals have to take some measure of responsibility for it. All right. So, there's our, our framework. Now, I think what we're all reacting to more often is those symptoms, the symptoms mm-hmm. of burnout. And classically, the symptoms that employees exhibit, they're, they're depleted or exhausted. They're mentally distant from their job, kind of like in a fog. They have negative feelings that they express about the job. They might even feel cynical about the job mm-hmm. itself. And all of that means that they are not as effective professionally. They're not as effective in the work that they do. So now we've got this vicious circling of the drain. Every single one of those kinds of symptoms feeds the next one and the experience, right? It it, it just causes more and more of the same. So, yeah. Yeah, no, and I think it's, it's, again, something that probably most of us have felt at one point or another. We've all definitely felt, you know, that level of stress in the workplace. And I think the difference here is really that prolonged stress, levels of stress that really impacts productivity or work, like you mentioned. And I know that you said that there is some research that you have read recently about burnout in the workplace and really some of the impacts from that burnout. Would you mind sharing some of that with us? Sure. I think the one that really got my attention, mid-year in 2022, Gallup had a a big body of work that found essentially that employees do not believe that their employers care about their well-being. And, you know, that's always been something that not every employee believes. But in 2022, it just tanked, right? Many more employees felt that many fewer employers cared about their well-being, And when you put that side by side with lots of of studies that have said post-pandemic and as we're trying to figure out what what we do next, there's a whole lot of confusion that parlays into employee engagement being at all-time lows. Mm. Okay, so here we are. We're in the great resignation, the quiet quit. (laughs) I think it's all linked together. Employees feel disengaged. They feel their well-being isn't being considered. They feel these effects of burnout, that unaddressed stress. and well, inevitably, where else could this go? There, there's a diminished desire. I'm talking about on the part of the employee. They're, they're no longer interested or, or motivated to work as hard. They're not contributing. They aren't going after the opportunities to, to innovate. Their focus is more on day-to-day survival. How do I get away from feeling this icky, awful feeling that I come to work and feel every day? How do I get through just even another shift? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And so I guess that leads to the question of, at least for me, is like, whose responsibility is it for in an organization for 
burnout and for, you mentioned, you know, low levels of employee engagement. So is it manager? Is it supervisor? Is it HR? Is it the employee? Is it, I mean, I'm sure everyone probably has a piece of responsibility there, but like, talk to us a little bit more about that. Who, who inside the organization, and that's not appropriate either. What we know, again, from research about employee engagement is that the number one contributor to high or low engagement is the direct manager. So if I want you to have an emotional connection, if I want you to be applying additional discretionary effort to your work as your supervisor, there are certain things that, that I ought to be doing. In fact, doing every single day, doing more frequently. And if I do those, we're going to have a better situation. Your engagement will increase. Your burnout will decrease. So what's not happening in a lot of places is that managers and supervisors are not even aware of what those simple behavioral sorts of things are. So they don't do them. And they kick the can over to HR. And in a lot of places, the folks in HR don't know that, hey, we can't fix it all. So they try valiantly. <laughs> they they try really hard to try to make it all better through oh rewards and recognition programs, through let's have fun days, let's do lighthearted things, let's create a different kind of a culture. And temporarily, right? Maybe that's yeah. like a little bit of a band-aid you can put there. But you've got to fix the root cause of the problem and make sure that supervisors, managers, that that they know what to do, that they are a part of executing on those people practices, the ones that create a solid employee experience that that solves for burnout. I love it. And I think that leads us, you know, perfectly to our next question, which is really, you have five fast fixes for helping with burnout. So walk us through each of those and why they can, you know, help in this process of alleviating that burnout. Okay. And before I do, let me say that I, I hope people will hear this for what it's meant to be. These are not just conceptual pie in the sky would be nice to have someday. These are business imperatives and they are practical. They're tactical kinds of things that, that you can do. So the first one, I, I fully realize, Garrett, that this is counterintuitive. It might be a little bit hard to believe at first. So I'll, I'll try to explain it. It's effective. And if you want to address burnout, one of the things, one of the best things you can do is Give people opportunities to be challenged, opportunities to stretch and, and to grow. You know, the truth is when people are feeling burnout, oftentimes it's just because they're slogging through the same work and there's more of it, but they could do it with their eyes closed and one hand tied behind their back. It's not interesting or engaging because it's not challenging. Yeah. So if you can provide a challenge that's just a little bit of a stretch beyond the current skill level, and give that message, hey, I, you've got this. I think you can do it. You're ready. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And I, I've got to ask too, what does that look like in practice, right? I know, I know, especially, you know, as you, as you talk about that, you and I often are, are probably working in an office, right? For office work, it makes sense. I'm thinking of some of those other like small businesses that might have people who are out in a field or customer facing where, what does that look like there? Is it taking on some side projects and giving them some additional responsibilities, outside of their core role? Is it, you know, what, what does that tangibly look like for you? 
Yeah, it might. It might involve some of that, although that may not serve the rest of the business purposes, especially at a time when you are short staffed. So I'd say look closer first. Look at what does the direct supervisor of that employee do that maybe that direct supervisor shouldn't do. So let's say you're in a customer facing job and every time there's a customer complaint, you kick that up to the the floor supervisor. Mm -hmm. Well, the floor supervisor is running back and forth and doing all kinds of things. And every time you have that customer complaint, it disrupts their work. It means they're not giving coaching, developing other kinds of opportunities to people because they're donning their superhero cape and swooping in to fix something. What if the employees who are on the floor were given a little bit of instruction and a little bit of empowerment so that they could take at least some of those complaints and address them right there in live time, providing a better customer experience, feeling ennobled that they were trusted to, to be able to handle it and learning about the business as they as they do. The business acumen naturally grows when you have that kind of responsibility for it. I love that. Such a great example. So number one is really just about stretching them, providing assignments and growth opportunities there where that can really stretch them. Next yes. ones. Well, similar. You want to give people a look into the future. You're not making promises. You're not creating an actual career map because as we all know, things change constantly. But what's a little bit of coaching, a little bit of training that can connect people to the organization and, and to their future? You know, what, what are they even interested in? What motivates them? What do they want to learn about? And these don't have to be, let me learn about your job because you're my boss and that would be the natural career track. It could be, let me learn about some soft skills. Let me learn about kinds of things you think about in the competitive landscape. It, it, it could be almost anything so long as you're positioning it as an investment in that employee so that they understand that that this is in support of them. I love that. I think that makes total sense. So first, again, just to summarize, give them the opportunity to stretch the Second is really give them some coaching and training that helps them feel invested in for the future, their future growth and have, having that tie into the organization. Is that right? That's exactly right. Awesome. Ooh, this next one's really, really important. Maybe it should have been first. It's that important. <laughs> and that is, yes, you're busy and you can make a lot of assumptions and you hope that everybody just sort of knows this, but the truth is they don't. So you cannot overdo this. You have to be setting extremely clear, crystal clear expectations and restating them because people don't always remember and, and the world around us is changing. But when you have clarity in the expectations that you give to people, when you have real clarity, that's where their confidence grows because they're they're very clear and then they can take some of those extra steps. And when you have clarity that leads to confidence, ultimately confidence leads to courage. And that's where innovation comes from. That's where people invest back into the organization. That's where they they do a little bit of extra. So don't ask them to just jump in and do stuff. Give them clarity so they have confidence, so they'll have the courage. And the way you keep that that expectation clear is that you also provide feedback, feedback with the specific express intention of helping people grow. I love it. Clarity leads to confidence, leads to courage. I'm going to borrow that because I love it so much. That's awesome. Very good. So that's number three. What's number four then? Well, you hear this word tossed around like a buzzword everywhere, but let's talk about what I mean by it. So inclusivity, I'm talking about keeping all voices in, not letting the people who are a little bit more outgoing or for whatever reason they speak up first, you don't stop there. In fact, maybe you, you, 
don't even start there, <laughs> but but doing a round robin. I want to hear from everybody. We're going around the floor and thinking about what are your thoughts. And this isn't about it now becoming a democracy and the boss doesn't make the decisions. It becomes the boss now makes better, more informed decisions where people have felt that their voices were heard. You accelerate buy-in for any change that you want to make and you you dignify people at a, at a human level. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I think it's totally true. The question that kind of comes to my mind as I, as I think about that is I know that there are often employees who feel hesitant sharing everything partially because they don't want to be seen as ungrateful, right? So too much criticism or or negative feedback, especially to their boss or superiors, can shine them in a negative light and they don't want that. What would you say to to those employees about the importance of being able to speak up and share? Why, why is that valuable for them to do and why, how does it help the organization? Yeah, I, I would say three things. The first is, you know, when it comes to your voice, it is use it or lose it. And if you don't speak up, people get used to passing you over. So don't let that happen. Mm-hmm. Second thing is it's about how you say as much as what you say. So you may think about prefacing. Hi, I got a little feedback for you. Are you open to that at this time? Or I'm sharing this because I really, you know, would want to know if I were in your shoes. So, you know, just give a little setup instead of ambushing folks with with that feedback. And the third thing that I would say about that is don't assume that because it may be constructive or, or negative that people don't want it. Hmm. See, I, I, if I was doing something wrong, I would rather know. If you knew, yeah. Garrett, that I was doing something wrong and you didn't tell me and you let me keep doing it wrong, that well, that's not very nice of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So if your intention is to help people, help them grow, help them to, to improve, and you share that intention and I have trust with you, bring it, bring me yeah. that feedback. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The The term that comes to mind is from the book, Radical Candor, when they call that ruinous empathy, right? So we don't want to have that ruinous empathy. We need to care for people, but also challenge them directly. And that's how we help them grow, right? Absolutely. Awesome. I love it. And then the last one, then number five tip that you have for us. I'm going to give everybody a reminder, this is practical and tactical, not conceptual. You'll be tempted on this one to let it ride. But I I think it's extremely important at this point in time, burnout, compassion, fatigue, what everybody's dealing with. It's really important in every possible way to ennoble people. And that's not a make-believe word. You hear about enabling people, that matters too. Give them the tools, the resources, the equipment. But don't do that unless you're also ennobling them, making them feel worthy and important. Hmm. You do that by genuinely putting people first. Don't hammer on profit and process and products, procedures. What does it mean to people? Right? What's the, the people aspect of that? How do you ennoble people? Well, you you acknowledge them. You don't walk by them and, and grumble with your head down because you're having a bad day. You, you affirm and acknowledge people because, you know, maybe they're having a bad day too. You ennoble people by showing them that you want their opinions. There's the inclusivity and the voices in. You ennoble them by giving them clarity so they can have confidence and, and courage. You ennoble them by just letting them know that that what they do is appreciated and that you believe that they can do more and you want to give them opportunities for that. So it's the sum total of the first four. I love it. Yeah, I that, I think that was my favorite one. Maybe that one should have come first too because perfect way to wrap it up though too. It's great. 
Okay. So every one of them has to be practical and it's got to become like breathing. You just do it all the time. Perfect. So excellent five fast fixes to help with that burnout. The, you know, really one of the last questions I have here before we wrap up is, you know, that's really helping with most of the employee burnout, which, you know, again, is prevalent everywhere. We've seen it with the great resignation the last few years and everything else. But, you know, something else that maybe is not talked about enough is the HR people, right? Who they're often feeling burnout, especially in the last few years with everything going on. So any help for them? Like what, what, what else can we, can they do or what can we do as business leaders and companies to help those HR people who have taken the brunt of a lot of the challenges that companies have faced the last few years and help them avoid that burnout? Yeah. Although your intentions are good, try not to have those monkeys climbing onto your back all all, over and over again. Mm -hmm. Managers are going to bring you problems because they'd really rather that you be the bad guy or do the hard thing or have the the responsibility for, for the conversation. But every time you do that, you're saying to that manager, you can't do it. I have to do it. And you're saying to that employee, your manager can't do that. I have to do it. And you're saying to yourself, I have to do this again. And you're getting burned out. And here again, that's not very nice. You, you, you teach and equip the managers because they're the ones the employees count on most. It's okay that you're going to be a little bit more in the background coaching the manager. That, that's better. And the more they do it, the better they're going to get. And the more you can focus on other stuff because oh, in HR, the work never is, is done. <laughs> so yeah. spread the wealth. The other thing I think that, that's important, so this is maybe going to give you permission to do what you need to do. And that is to model for others a genuine work-life balance, right? If, if you're also sending midnight texts and, and answering things at 6 a.m., you can't preach work-life balance. You, you yeah. can't run the wellness program effectively if you are modeling something different. So you know, let yourself off the hook. It's for the good of the entire organization for you to model something that's healthy. Awesome. Well, Deb, this has been such a great conversation. I appreciate you joining and sharing some of these tips with us today. I know that there's definitely things that I learned that I'm going to take away from this. And I know that's probably the case for many of our listeners out there too. So thank you for being with us. If there are listeners who want to get in contact with you, either to learn more about this topic or to learn about working with your company, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'm on LinkedIn company and and personally, and I always enjoy meeting people there. So you could certainly do that. Two websites, and and I understand, Garrett, that you put those in the show notes. The Mm -hmm. first is to the company, People First Productivity Solutions. The second is to People First Leadership Academy. That's that place I mentioned with lots of free stuff. So if we don't meet any other way, I'll see you on a workshop one of these days. Those are always interactive and, and presented live for about half of them so that we have a chance to to really dive deep. Awesome. Well, super excited to go check all of those out. I encourage everyone else to do it as well. So Deb, thank you again for being with us. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Garrett. I really appreciate the conversation. Today, enduring companies know that their people are their most important assets and they invest in helping them excel. But often small businesses with limited HR resources struggle to manage their people, payroll, and processes efficiently and create an environment where frontline deskless employees thrive. That's why we created Eddy. Eddy is the all-in-one HR suite built for local businesses that streamlines tedious HR processes and improves the employee experience for frontline workers. 
With Eddy, you can hire, manage, pay, and engage employees with one easy-to-use software. No headache required. You've already done the hard part by creating a great business. Now let us help you take it to the next level. Visit eddy.com today to request a demo.